Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there, it's the Planet Football Podcast. Luis Miguel Echegaray and me, Grant Wall, we're back in the saddle. How are you, my friend? Happy New Year. Happy New Year. This is so great. I I feel like I haven't seen you in years. It's not quite been that long. It's been years, Grant. But it has been since December 9th. (laughs) It's been a long time. Since we recorded a podcast here. And I did take a week of vacation in mid-December, which I highly recommend. Like, save a week of vacation for mid-December before you have to go hang out with your family. I love my family. But you need to emphasize nice. that with caps, otherwise, especially in a Latino household, otherwise you're going to be in trouble. True. <laughs> but I would say that it's nice to just you know take your significant other for, for a vacation. You did that Abs- after the Christmas holiday. Absolutely. I'm, I'm married to a teacher. You don't have to tell me about the, <laughs> the profits of taking your uh, significant other on vacation during the holidays. I totally agree. I think there's something truly great. It's kind of like recharging your batteries, uh, both figuratively and... Uh, Literally, maybe, uh, you know, when you go away with your significant other. Oh, yeah. It's great. Uh, but it is great to be here with you. You were in, I noticed, near the Cancun area on your vacation. Did you happen to see, I saw this on TMZ, Jonathan Dos Santos got uh, pictured on TMZ vacationing in Cancun. They seemed to think it was a big deal that he was with two women. Yeah, I took the photograph and I sold it to TMZ. No, just kidding. <laughs> No, nah, listen, uh, it's a big out of nothing. First of all, I believe that one of them is his assistant's friend or something. Like, there, there's no, it's not like it was, uh, you know, this parade that people were talking about. And either way, hey, you know, it's a holidays, right? My big takeaway is uh, John needs to get in the gym because he was showing a little, <laughs> a little bit of a spare tire there. You did? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I- I'll let him off just because, you know. I like he pro- the guy. He, yeah, he's great. And he has a few. He's, he, uh, by the way, he's a great person. Like, I we interviewed him. Last year, I believe, such a such a great uh, interview. But yeah, I, I agree. I think he needs to get back to the gym straight away. <laughs> lots to talk about since our last pod on December 9th. Lots has happened. Let's talk about the Premier League first. Liverpool on December 9th led the league by eight points over Leicester City. Now Liverpool leads Leicester by 13 points with a game in hand. What happened? Liverpool just continue to build on everything that Jurgen Klopp has implemented. I mean, we have gone on and on about 
the manager. And again, our biggest issue was what are they going to do during the most hectic of them all, the period, the holiday period, specifically the beginning of December when they had the Club World Cup, they had a League Cup where they had to simultaneously, uh, you know, include their under 23s. You know, they just beat off Everton. I know that we'll talk about it thanks to Curtis Jones, Jones Screamer. Um, and they just continue to build on on everything that they believe Jurgen Klopp can, can give them. I think, listen, here's the thing. A, there's other reasons why, right? Man City has fallen off. Uh, you know, Leicester City, uh, you know, had to face Liverpool as well. And, you know, and came, City. And, and City and came to the cruel points. realization that they are still uh, aware way when it comes to longevity, not skill, but longevity. And I think that what you're seeing right now um, is a Liverpool side that is clicking with every single personnel. And that's what wasn't happening last season, where they had to rely on specific players. And now Mohamed Salah, Sadio Mane are not your only answers. I mean, Divock Origi is performing. Jordan Henderson's playing really well. When you have players like Curtin Jones who could just, you know, easily take you on to the next round uh, of an FA Cup because it's just a headache in your schedule, that's really going to amount to so many things. Be honest, everyone. How many of you knew who Curtis Jones was before this weekend? Yeah, I mean, listen, first of all, I did only because I remember having to do a piece about uh, the American uh, team that signed a contract and he was talking about the different teammates. So is, he's not a household name. We can say that. Great goal, though. But what a goal. And the setup. And he's 18 years old, a local lad. And made it one nothing in the Merseyside Derby. That's quite something. I am now convinced that you could put you and me in a Liverpool jersey <laughs> on the field, especially against a full-strength Everton team, and get a win. Yeah, absolutely. I just don't want Jurgen to ask me to run for like the last like you know because you know that running regime. That he, imagine being Trent Alexander-Arnold. Like you said, was it you that said? I don't know, but I would love to see what they do in training. Like I just want to know because I think that's part of it. Actually, the way that they have been able to take care of themselves physically. Granted, it's the beginning of January. There's still time. But as you mentioned, this gigantic 13-point uh, gap is incredible. They've won the league at this point, and I feel you okay. Think? I do feel okay saying it now. I thought people were calling it too early, but um, unless like Van Dyke gets hurt, I just can't see anything happening. It's, it's a very big gap. I still am... Uh, 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 a glutton for mathematics, and I'm not going to say it's done, but this is almost, it's almost impossible for anybody to come. I actually did the math in my predictions So piece. what does it take? So, well, like, Liverpool has dropped two points all season long. Yeah. That one tie with Manchester United. They've won every other league game. They are going to, like, they have to drop a lot of points. I actually did the math, and now I'm forgetting it. To, to not set the all-time record for Premier League points, which Man City set two seasons ago with 100, right? There were Centurions. Yeah. Um, there's 114 points available. Basically, Liverpool has to drop 11 points or they can still drop 11 points and, and set the record. That's incredible. And then when I look at their schedule and you see where could they do this, I mean, you know, their schedule is not exactly a walkthrough. So starting with Tottenham away. Uh, they are going away at Wolves later Tottenham's uh, bad in the month. Them. Yeah, they're going... Um, you know, they have to play teams that are, like, scraping for life to be in the Premier League, like Norwich, Watford. Not, I'm not saying that they're going to be difficult, but when you play teams like that who are playing for literally everything. But, yes, it's just too much of a gap. Even Man City away by the time, uh, you know, uh, 
April comes around, it's just too late. I think I, I agree with you. I think it's almost impossible for them for not to count them um, as winners. So we mentioned this FA Cup win for Liverpool at Anfield over Everton. Now, this was a full-strength Everton team that Carlo Ancelotti put out there. Clearly not a full-strength Liverpool team. This was a, a, a young, young Liverpool team. They still get the win. Now, in that Carabao Cup game, when they put the young guys out there, they got waxed by your villa. So it's not automatic that stuff like this is going to happen. But if you're an Everton fan right now, that is just a killer. Yeah, to lose to not Liverpool's first team uh, is quite is quite something. I mean, and you know you, they're going to be hearing about it all week uh, I w- leading I, up to it. I want to take this occasion because we've had several coaching hires in the last few weeks since mm. we were last here. Carlo Ancelotti's one of them. And he is one of the nicest men in football. He's won three Champions Leagues. His legacy as a, as a coach is secure, okay? I, I want to say that first. I don't like this hire. I didn't like the hire when it looked like he might be a candidate. I don't think Carlo Ancelotti and what he does best, which is working with stars and getting them to play at a higher level, fits at all with Everton and what they're trying to do. And I also think there are very few coaches in world soccer that I can think of who have fallen faster in the last two or three years in terms of their reputation in present day than Carlo Ancelotti. Yeah. This is a gamble for him, both uh, professionally and... I think it's a gamble for Everton. And, yeah, but I think it's more for Ancelotti because I think that, you know, Everton's look, you know, prior to that, yes, Duncan Ferguson was, was you know, keeping them in it, at least getting some points. But at some point, you, you look at the list of available managers and you're saying to yourself, where can we go? What angle can we take? And yes, it is a gamble for Everton because, like you said, Ancelotti is at its best when he makes really good players better when he turns them into superstars, when he creates um, a really good team and makes them either champions or contenders for viable tournaments, as he did with Chelsea and obviously all the other teams that he did before that, Real Madrid, etc. This is a complete gamble for Everton. I think it's bigger for Ancelotti because, as you mentioned, like this could go horribly wrong in the next two months when it comes to... Everton are not looking to... They, don't, they have very good players really good players, international caliber, but they don't have a team of superstars. And this is a team that still, because I talked about it last week, um, this is a team where there is no mid-table in this Premier League right now. It's literally like the very top and just the bottom table. There are many teams in it to try and get away from relegation, and Everton's one of them. So, you know, it's going to be a big gamble uh, for Everton and, to me, bigger for Ancelotti because, like you said, his reputation, you know, you know, something could happen at the end there's, of this. There's some red flags on Ancelotti here. One is you look at, for all the Champions League titles he's won, he's won very few league titles over the years with some amazing teams squads and so that's a red flag just his league performance and here he is in you know back with a a team in the premier league um the word out of bayern munich was that ancelotti who came in right after guardiola that the the quality of his training sessions it was so lax especially compared to guardiola that the players wanted him out they felt like they weren't being coached right and then for to go to napoli and he had some okay moments at napoli and got them into the champions league knockout rounds this year and it was a weird firing we talked about it before when it happened um 
I think he should be a national team coach. I mean, he's definitely ready for it. I mean, what that's else, what he should be doing. What else does he have to prove from a club perspective? Um, the 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 key, the biggest task for Everton right now is stay in the Premiership. Yeah, that's the biggest task. That's not a usual task for Ancelotti. It's never something he's had exactly. So those are two different pieces of homework that. You know that we're going to find out what happens. They're right. Everton's right now eleventh with twenty-five points, and that is just five points above the relegation zone. There's a lot of football to be played, and Ancelotti will be the first man to admit that his biggest task right now is to keep them in the Premier League, and that's very alien to what his usual tasks are. Other coaching changes: Arsenal. Mikel Arteta is the new head coach at Arsenal Football Club. I think this is the call they should have made a couple years ago when they yeah. hired Unai Emery, and they were they were about to hire Arteta, and then I guess just decided that's too much of a risk. We'll hire Emery, and now they go with Arteta, and it's off to a pretty good start. Yeah, or maybe it was a, a larger obstacle to climb to try and you know get Man City to you know to allow them. Or Arteta maybe thought himself wasn't ready yet. I wish that was Josh Kroenke at at Arsenal basically about to make a big move and then thinking twice. Yeah. But I like this move. I mean, I agree. I think it's a little late, but I like it. It's everything that Arsenal needs, a fresh voice, a fresh strategy, somebody that knows the club and... If we're going to get any indication to what we saw when Arsenal played Manchester United, then Arsenal fans should be very, very happy for what they see. I think that Arsenal fans need to just slow down a little bit and not expect too much this season. Let's just calm down. I think that does it, I don't care what manager you are, it's very difficult to come in mid-season and completely 180 a philosophy um, and make them into a I mean, top four. Forget about it, right? So you just focus on the development of strategy and how your players are going to play. Hope that players like Aubameyang and Lacazette and Ozil want to stay because I think Ozil is an Arteta player, like 100%, and you can already see it. But I don't think you should expect too much this season, but I think this is a great signing for Arsenal. I do too. Um, Yes, Arteta has not been a head coach before, and so he's going to a club uh, that still has stature, despite what some people may tell you. And... I do think Arsenal fans right now are getting so high and low based on one game, or you know, and and so you know we're recording this on but Monday. You, I think you literally just described an Arsenal fan. Exactly. Right? You either very high or very low. You're either the gonna win the Champions League or you're gonna get relegated. And you can tweet as much as you want. I just know that that's the Arsenal fan personality. Like you're either here or the here. It's it's just well, crazy. we're recording this Monday morning, and so everyone's still excited at Arsenal about beating Man United. They looked good doing it. They deserved to win. They were more organized organized them before under Emery. Uh, the stars like Aubameyang uh, look to be happier. And and so that's encouraging. But this afternoon, they're playing Leeds United in the FA Cup. Marcelo Yelsa. And I'm looking forward to seeing this game. But they could lose this game. They could. And then are Arsenal fans going to swoon again you never know with arsenal fans what they're gonna do i mean taking i mean let's i mean i i think that it should be i mean it's gonna be a great game and granted it's just an fa cup match and i think uh per what i'm reading that bielsa is not gonna really feature his best team because Mm -hmm. his priority right now is promotion to the premiership but having said that i think arsenal fans now 
are hoping that under Arteta, whether it's the FA Cup or the Premiership, you're going to see a different type of arsenal. And that kind of already began, right? Yeah. Uh, other new coaches, David Moyes, not exactly a new coach <laughs> at West Ham United. Did get a win in his first game in the league? Against Bournemouth, who is who's just playing terrible. terrible right now, so I'm not going to take too much of it. I guess it's about steadying the ship. Somebody that knows the club, somebody knows the premiership, uh, and West Ham ultimately said, listen, enough is enough. We need to just stay in the premiership. And you're going to hear that a lot, by the way talking about a lot of clubs right now. It's about really staying above ground. And David Moyes, I guess, brings that. Yes, it was a solid win, but l listeners, you need to know Bournemouth is playing terribly right now. So I'm taking not much from that. So it really all depends on, on the game, specifically away from home. Well, it's interesting to me. I don't know what this necessarily means, but like Carlo Ancelotti and David Moyes are two guys who I could have seen taking the Inter-Miami job yeah, or an MLS job. And now instead they're with mid-table Premier League teams. Does that say anything? I don't know if that does. I don't know. I don't know if it was a nostalgia thing for Moyes mm -hmm. that he wanted to come back to a league that he knew well. I don't know if it was uh, a swayed uh, situation and a cause of timing. But just going back to the job itself, I mean, West Ham has to play Sheffield United <laughs> Then Everton, that should be interesting. Moyes against Ancelotti, Moyes against his old club. Leicester City and then Liverpool. So, you know, we talk about that 4-0 start and the FA Cup win against Gillingham. You know, there's plenty to play. But yeah, going back to your point, I, I don't know if enough teams in MLS gave it much of a sell to David Moyes. I don't know how you can't sell uh, Inter Milan, but, you know, from what we talked with the owners, and I know we'll talk about this later, you know, they, they always wanted a South American or a Spanish-based player, so. Hey, Moyes speaks Spanish after the Sociedad <laughs> time, I think. He does. He and I had one conversation one time. It was Euro 2012, and he pops up one day in the press center where I was. And I go, hey, that's David Moyes. He was like the Everton coach then, like when he was still like, oh, David Moyes. Right. And very pleasant man. He said he owned a house in Naples, Florida. Uh, that he spends time at. See, there you go. So it was already a sell. You know, I'm, I imagine him because Abby Wambach lives in Naples, Florida now as well. I was imagining like a Starbucks in Naples, Florida, and like oh, David Moyes, Abby Wambach, and they're like coffee buddies. That would be kind of an amazing conversation. <laughs> <laughs> um, moving on here, we've got Nigel Pearson, who I want to mention here as a new manager. Three wins in the league with Watford, most recently against Wolves. Um, Watford has gone from having one win all, all season. They got four now. They are close to being out of the relegation zone, and they were pretty deep in it at the bottom. What's going on here? I Listen, uh, I watched carefully the Watford under Nigel Pearson when uh, Watford played Villa and destroyed them with 10 men. And aside from the fact that Villa were horrific, <laughs> it, it was more about the fact that, and this is a cliche, sometimes... When a new manager comes in, it's about instilling that sort of fire that didn't exist before. But I'm telling you right now, that's exactly what's happening with Watford. Every single player is playing with a different type of mentality. They're going after every ball. They, they have a better sink. It's a more simplistic um, strategy from Nigel Pearson. And you can see it. And they're killing themselves every single game. They're treating it like a cut final in every match. And I think that's the difference. Because um, you can't take away the fact that they have tremendous players. I mean, 
you know, Delafeo is a talent and is just, you know, Troy Deeney leading the line. There, there are really good players. I just think that there was a passiveness to Watford. They're not the best squad, obviously, but they're definitely better than the worst team in the league. And I think Nigel Pearson has given them that confidence that they didn't know they had. Does Watford stay up? That's a really good question. At this point, I say yes. I mean, momentum, certainly. Absolutely. And the thing is, it's not even about... It's it's less about um, Watford, which obviously, you know, is a team that's on the up, as you said. But it's more about this bottom table that we keep talking about. It's absolutely incredible. From 11th place, which is 25th... Sorry, 11th place, which is 25 points. That's a five-point difference from above relegation. Anybody below that, I mean, Southampton's going on a good run, but Newcastle, I have said from the very beginning, is a team that could be going still down a little bit more. Obviously, we have Villa. Um, I think Watford stays up if it carries on like this. There's no reason why not. Yeah, pretty incredible. I also want to just make a mention of Ralph Hazenhull. Is that how you pronounce it? Yes. Uh, at Southampton, who whose team lost 9-0 at home this season. And they just beat Spurs. Well played to Southampton's board to stick with them and say, you know what? <laughs> this was horrific. Uh, a moment we will never want to remember as a Southampton club. But look look at them now. They're 12th, even on points with Everton, uh, two behind Arsenal. I mean, we talk about Burnley, too, is not playing well. West Ham, we still don't yet know what's going to happen on the Moyes, Aston Villa. So there are many teams right now in the running for it. It's kind of unbelievable. Um, a couple other things I wanted to mention in the England context here, we saw something new, at least for England this weekend. We saw a referee use an, a pitch-side monitor for VAR. Yeah, Michael Oliver at the Crystal Palace Derby game. It was the first time, I believe, in, in the history of the English game where we've seen a referee go to a pitch-side monitor and look back, and it was for a red card. Change the yellow to a red. Correct. Uh, and... You know why is it so hard? Why is it so hard? I mean, and that's what we've been talking a lot of. You know, the Bundesliga does it. Why? Why this could solve so many things? Because what I'm hearing the most is fans at the game have no idea what's going on when it comes to VAR situations in the Premier League, and this facilitates so much because the pitch side monitor is also something that the stadium can see at the same time, and he can explain himself for his decision. As an Anglophile, as someone who has lived in England for portions of your life and followed the soccer culture there, do you have any answers for why VAR has gone over so much worse in England than in other countries? I, it's a good question. I don't... My, my immediate response is stubbornness. <laughs> this stubborn mentality to try, no, we have it. We got it. We're good. We're going to stick with this and just wait until it's catastrophic and then maybe change it as opposed to sort of, you know, uh, doing a sort of inverted look at yourself and then looking at other leagues like the Bundesliga and saying, actually, we can learn from them. Uh, that's my immediate mm. answer. I don't know if that's the truth. That's just really my opinion. But I think that that's part of it because it really it, it just makes sense to have, you know, things like a pitch side monitor to do it. But I believe that a lot of it has to do with the fact that there's just a stubborn mentality, especially when it comes to the FA and and you know key key decisions in refereeing. I have concluded that complaining about VAR if you're in England is like that's the perfect thing for the Twitter outrage machine. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Oh, it's it's perfect timing when it comes to the culture that we exist in. Something that was amazing, by the way, was when um, Villa played Burnley, 
um, a horrible decision. Uh, Jack Grealish scored an opener, mm-hmm. but it was canceled off because Wesley's back here. Oh, that was a good one, yeah. That was up, but what happened was when Wesley ended up scoring, Villa fans didn't celebrate. So Wesley scored a goal and it was dead quiet on the other side. And it's the first time I've ever seen that. And I believe it's because all of them were like, we're not celebrating until it's actually confirmed. And that to me is just poetically horrible, isn't it? It's, it's unbelievable. Lastly, in England, uh, I do want to bring up this topic because it's been addressed by Jurgen Klopp, Pep Guardiola, Mourinho. Are there too many games? We saw James Milner get injured early in the FA Cup game for Liverpool the other day, one of the fittest players in England. Uh, We still see FA Cup replays happening instead of, let's just go to penalties. Even though they've been diminished in later rounds, we still see them, yes. Um. Why are there so many games in England, and couldn't they just have games on Boxing Day and New Year's Day and none in between? Yeah, this is a theme that we've talked a lot about before on Planet Football TV. I've made it a key part of my monologues for so many years now. It's just unbelievable. From a marketing perspective, of course it's great for the Premier League's brand. You get to see matches the day after Christmas, New Year's Day, the weekend, but physically... And mentally, it's just so much on a player. I mean, you mentioned James Milner. Again, I go back to my club. You know, we had Tom Heaton and Wesley out for the season on the same game in the space of five minutes. And a lot of it has to do because they're playing. They're playing. I mean, a team like Liverpool played like, what, 14 games in the space of the beginning of December till now. That's unbelievable. Obviously, that's not all about the Premier League, the Club World Cup, etc. In terms of the FA Cup, They've, they did a lot more now. There's no more replays in the later rounds. But, you know, there is an argument to be made that replays should just be scratched completely altogether. My only caveat to that is, like, when you're a lower league team and you play away from home and you get that replay financially, that's really good for your ground because you get that ticket sales. My answer to that would be, like, any lower league team that plays a, a bigger team, like a Premier League team, it should automatically be a home game for the lower league that's team. That's what Germany does. Right. The people call. So you might as well just do that. And I agree. I don't think. I think it's just, the schedule is just too hectic. It's just too hectic. And it's in the long run, it's damaging the brand because all these players are getting injured. Yeah. I, there's a good story by Ken Early, really terrific Irish writer who you should follow on Twitter and we should get on the podcast at some point. Um, but he looks at just how much the modern game has changed even in the last 10 years in terms of if you look at the stats for meters run, the game is being played differently now. You're asked to run more than ever, faster than ever, and do it basically straight for 90 minutes. And just the so the way the game is played has changed and that has an impact on things, but they have the same schedule or even more games now. And that takes a toll. He actually brought up a science paper that a guy did in like the 70s where he studied heart rate, uh, meters run, and got access to, I think it was Everton back then. And it was a pretty interesting thing. Basically, it suggested that the game has changed dramatically compared to like the 1970s, which is actually, it makes sense. I, I... 
if you ever get a chance on YouTube, listeners, I would suggest watch like a full 90-minute game. Watch like if you can get like the 1970 World Cup final. And those are amazing players, obviously, one of the greatest teams of all time. But it's a different game. Yeah, there's way more contained. Or read our colleague Jonathan Wilson's Inverting the Pyramid, which he talks a lot about this. But absolutely, it's a completely different game. I mean, a midfielder now runs the average of 10 to 12K a game. Half of it is sprinting. Yeah. And if you're Liverpool, <laughs> that's way more. That's why I always give so much credit to Mauricio Pochettino and Tottenham. You know, he managed to get them Champions League status in the final of the Champions League without bringing in one single player. There's just too many matches. And it's in the long run, it's bad for your team because these players just can't take it anymore. Let's move to Europe, the continent. Uh, Barcelona, if you hear people talk about this Barcelona team... You wouldn't think they're in first place in La Liga, right? <laughs> so they tie Espanyol 2-2 this past weekend. Espanyol, bottom of the table in La Liga. Rival, I guess you could call them a rival, intra-city rival of Barcelona. Barcelona was terrible again. Yeah. And yet, even though they've dropped 17 points in La Liga compared to Liverpool's two in the Premier League, they're in first place. Joined them uh, on goal difference from Real Madrid because they won. But yeah, you know, the big question is, is, does this mean this is a good Liga season or is it a bad Liga season? That's a big it, question. It, does it mean that, you know, the overall parity of the league is good? Because I still to this day believe that La Liga technically is the best league in the world. But Or does it mean that... <laughs> you know, it's actually a, a worse product just because of the champions or the leading candidates for the title are really not, they're not that great or not what they used to be, at least. Honestly, when people say they want parity, don't believe them. <laughs> yeah, they, they want, they want, don't believe fireworks. Them. They want gigantic, uh, giant killers like, you know, your Pep Guardiola, uh, Barcelona. Or Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool or Pep Guardiola's Man City at the beginning. They they want the highlights. They want the fireworks for sure. Because honestly, Valverde should probably be gone. Right? He, I mean, that's what Barcelona fans want. So if he gets... Will they can him if they're in first place in the league? I think so. To be... I've been to come now a bunch of times. I've been around these fans a lot. I've seen the history of the city... I love the city so much, and I talk to Barcelona, Barcelonistas, you know, people from the city, people that, you know, true Catalonian, like real passionate fans of this club. And to them, it's not just about winning this league. It's about doing it the Barcelona way. When you have the greatest player in the world and a tremendous supporting cast, you cannot, you cannot play like this. There's a passiveness to them. I mean... I don't obviously I don't see them winning the Champions League and if they win the La Liga it's only because Real Madrid has suffered and Atletico Madrid has not lived up to its standards. Who is wearing the Frankie De Jong disguise out there by the way? <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. Like it, it is fascinating to me that the two can't miss guys from Ajax last season. Frankie De Jong, Matthias De Ligt, much poorer than expected this year, both of them yeah. at Barcelona and Juventus. Absolutely. I think everything points to Xavi coming back at some point, no? I just think that they... Like, I want him to play right now, the way, <laughs> the way things are going, Give man. 20 minutes, yeah, absolutely. I just, 
I know that Barcelona is a club that doesn't just want to win. They want to make a, a print on the world of football and say, we are Barcelona and no matter what, we're going to win and we're going to win in style. And when I talked to Sergio Busquets last year, one of the things that he said, listen, the thing is, like, it's a little harder, uh, it's a little easier said than done because literally, as we just discussed, the game is so different now. It's like, it requires so much more of you physically. And the Barcelona philosophy whether you want to call it tiki-taka, possession-based, it's not really that anymore. So it, it can't live up to like the high-press counter-attack. Sure, it's, it's going to be successful, but to a point. And you know, Messi is not going to last forever. So you need to make sure that your philosophy not only is not scrap your philosophy, but elevate it and bring in really talented players that can help you do that. And at this moment... Yes, they're le they're topping La Liga, but I don't know if that's because the league itself is is not a great product, or right now, or this, everybody else is better. This feels like the worst Barcelona team since Frank Rijkaard's last season. I think that was oh seven oh eight, and they finished third mm. in La Liga, way behind. Do they still year. win it? No, they finished third. No, but do they still win this one? Oh, this? Yeah. Actually, I think Real. If I had to pick a team, I'd pick Real Madrid. Mm. They'll get Hazard back eventually. This is, this is what Barcelona has right now. This is the best they can put out there. Yeah, and they're winning ugly. Now, keep in mind that bad Barcelona season, 07 08, they actually got to the Champions League semis. <laughs> so it's, it's all relative. But I, I just don't. Champions League is a different animal this time around. But know. that's what set up Pep Guardiola coming in the following season. And so there's a bit of a similarity, right? If Xavi comes in exactly. as the manager next season. Exactly. And then. You could potentially see something cool. Exactly. I hope. Yeah. Um, Zlatan Ibrahimovic back on the field for AC Milan. Actually, as we're talking here and recording, 0-0 finale. He came on as a sub. Didn't score from 40 yards like he did in his first game for the Galaxy. So, sorry, uh, Milan. Yeah, according to our friend Matteo Bonetti, it was a snooze fest. So AC Milan's pretty bad. Yeah. I mean, Zlatan can't do much. I mean... You know, we'll see what happens, but yeah, they're twelfth in Serie A. It's not, yeah. Um, kind of feel bad for his statue getting desecrated again. Like totally toppled this time yeah, that over was in Sweden. Like huge. Chill, guys. My God, show some respect. <laughs> um, it's just interesting to me to see Ibrahimovic come to MLS and then go back to play in Europe at his age. At the same time as Wayne Rooney is now back on the field after being in MLS for Derby County, they won their FA Cup match against Crystal Palace on the road this weekend. Rooney playing kind of a deep-lying midfielder role. Um, how much is he coaching? I, I didn't watch that whole game. Is he like doing any coaching, or is he basically a player? I didn't watch the whole game at all, but um, I can tell you that whether he's already 100% in from a coaching perspective is... It's going to happen. So, like, it's eventually. He going was kind to... of a coach on the field with DC as well. Correct. Right? Yeah. So, and, and that's his aspirations. And I think, I think that's part of his overall contract eventually. No, that's his, that's his title as right. player coach. Well, there you go. So, I just don't, I, I didn't, I gotta be honest, I didn't see the entire game, just saw the highlights, but I do believe it's getting to that point. Listen, and Darby again is a, a team that, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a good place for him to start. I mean, whether he was, uh, you know, a, a championship team that, you know, can do things like beat a Premier League side. It, it, it's good for him, for sure. Uh, let's move to North America. Um, Inter-Miami has hired Diego Alonso as its head coach. They finally hired a head coach. He's had success, some, in Mexico. He's Uruguayan. Um, 
Not the sexiest hire when you saw the other names that were supposedly being considered, uh, which that was Santiago Solari. Who else was that for? I mean, David Moyes, if you want to call him sexy, yeah. right? <laughs> Patrick Vieira was also maybe. A, a, That's right. Um, okay, Diego Alonso. You know, the, the more I think about this, I think it's a pretty smart acquisition. Uh, for one, from talking to Paul McDonough and Jorge Mas, you know, they, they wanted to tick a few boxes. One of them was they wanted a South American player, you know, former player slash manager that understood the Spanish market, the South American market, um, with, you know, European experience, I guess, or with like a channel of understanding of what they need to do when he manages. The thing that we probably didn't go too deep into, but it's a very good point is that, you know, somebody with CONCACAF experience, uh, you know, Diego Alonso and Paul McDonough, you know, watched a lot of, um, you know, Diego Alonso's Monterrey when they beat Atlanta United in the Champions League. And that was a major indicator for him to say, you know, not only is this a manager that has played in, you know, a stronger league, because Liga MX is a stronger league, but somebody that also understands the North American market. So that's already, I mean, he's, he's won with, you know, Pachuca and Monterrey. So he understands exactly what it takes to be, you know, a competitive manager. My, my, negative side if there's a criticism is that i'm very interested to see what kind of strategy he's going to have because in liga mx he's known to be a little bit of a pragmatic coach yeah that was the word somebody that's say. somebody that's very reactive mm -hmm. somebody that is not so much going to you know try and punch you in the face but he's going to counter to it now I look, uh, much of the argument could be made, you know, Liga MX is a different animal, partly because of geography as well. You know, sometimes you're playing at such high altitude, you want to take care of your players. You can't necessarily go for the, you know, um, you know, club style counter attacking full on press mode. But he might change that on Inter Milan, uh, in Inter, Inter Milan, Inter Miami. We just haven't seen it. But he's known to be a very pragmatic coach that that's more of a counter instinctive team. Now, Inter Miami doesn't have a DP right now. I mean, it, it's adding a few people. Agudelo's gone there, obviously, uh, which is kind of interesting, right? Uh, but there's still a lot of pieces to be made. And the other thing was, like, he's not going to be involved in the decision-making of the players that come in. He's mainly responsible on what to do with those players when they come. So there's a lot of question marks, but I do like it, mainly because he understands the market and what it takes to beat MLS sites. The question is, what kind of philosophy he's going to implement? Do you think Inter Miami is actually going to make a really big name signing? Less and less as as the days move on, less and less I believe that. Yeah. I, that's I my a, sense. I had a lot of thought that Edinson Cavani was gonna be and now he's uh Atletico Madrid is injury. He's either going to Atletico or he's gonna stay at PSG. This is one or the other. So then that leaves you with maybe they'll go into the South American market and, and try and get somebody. I mean is Gabby Gall a possibility? I don't know. It, you know, is that too much of a crazy notion? There are talented players in South America. Like, there are Miguel Almirons out there that could come in. So that, to me, is the other side. From Europe, I don't know. Uh, other head coaches being hired in MLS. NYCFC has announced Ronnie Dela is going to be their new head coach. You're giving me the shrug. I... I I'd be lying to the listeners if I said that I know a lot about him. Uh, I used know, to coach Celtic, right? Yep, I know that our friend uh, Ian Paul Jerry like is is you know he, he's he, he's he's tweeting a lot of uh, you know 
good information about the manager and the experience is there, that's for sure. And, you know, we questioned Dama Torrent and, you know, he he managed to get NYCFC to win the East, uh, obviously bowing out in the knockout stage in the playoffs, but uh, there, there's very little I know about him aside from his resume itself. So I can't tell you exactly what he'll be, but the hope is that he'll be able to give them that kind of grit. NYCFC, above anything, needs grit, needs to know what they do, especially away from home and how to counter. I mean, the biggest issue in the playoffs has always been like, they just don't, they kind of choke, right? It's not really much the point accumulation during the season. It's more about what they do in the playoffs. So will this be the manager that finally says to them, you're going to, you know, you're going to deliver? Well, reports that Keaton Parks is going to be signed permanently. Uh, he was good, I thought, last season. Yeah, he started slow and then he really became a good partnership with Alex Ring. And, you know, he's a young American. The Olympics are this year. You know, he's going to want to make a, a full statement. So if, if the rumors are true and he does officially become an NYCFC player from Benfica. I think that's a really good acquisition. Uh, some transfer rumors out there in MLS. Edison Flores, potentially the DC United. And you put this in here, Pedro Gaese to Orlando City. I did. Listen, if all these Peruvians start coming to MLS, I want to <laughs> call it Major Lima Soccer, okay? We've got Raul Rudias, Paulo Hurtado might be coming. No, uh, so the Edison Flores rumors are very strong. Very, very strong. Apparently, Morelia... And DC United have come to an agreement. So it's now really between the player. I believe it's a $5 million transfer fee. Mm. Um, Edison Flores, listeners, if you don't know about this player, I'm, I'm going to remove my Peruvian hat for a second. But this is somebody that like really delivered for Morelia. He's, he's a really natural left winger, but he can act as a 10 or as a number 9 as well. I don't know where DC United would put him. Obviously, losing Lucho Acosta and Rooney will make them feel. But he's a great, he's gone to the World Cup. He's a Copa America finalist. He's perf he's performed numerous times for Ricardo Gareca in Peru and in Liga MX. He's done well. So more of the question is, is he too good for MLS? That's what people are saying. But I think this is a good move for him if it happens. And the other one, Pedro Gallese, is Peru's number one goalkeeper. A tremendous underrated goalkeeper. How old is he now? 29. So he okay. still I has... thought he was like 35. <laughs> no, he still okay. has some... Well, uh, uh, Guerrero's 35 <laughs> and he could play till he's 80 but you know these are two players that come in but Edison Flores should be a really interesting acquisition for, for DC United for sure uh, in terms of the US men's national team they were supposed to spend the month in Qatar with their mostly MLS based January camp group uh, the idea for going to Qatar originally was to spend some time in the country that's hosting World Cup 2022, which, by the way, isn't moving, folks. It's not moving. <laughs> yeah. Stop asking us. Yeah, we need to come to reality now. Um, I always thought it was a little strange to spend that much money anyway. Yeah. And now they're not going to be in Qatar because, obviously, world events uh, and the situation in the Middle East with uh, the assassination of the Iranian general um, have made it difficult for Americans to, I think, feel totally safe being in the Middle East. I get it. So I think this decision to have the training camp in Florida makes total sense. Um, yeah. But you still had a situation where like U.S. support staff had landed there in Doha. All their equipment had landed there, and then they're having to scramble. Um, the camp itself had some interesting names on the roster. Ulysses Gianez, Julian Araujo, Jesus Ferreira. Young, promising players. And that's exciting. Yeah. 
you know, and like January camp's January camp, but the fact that you've got these guys in camp and a couple of these guys, the first two I mentioned, are still on the line of deciding whether they're going to play for Mexico or the U.S. But I like that. I like that they're bringing them in and I like that they're beginning. It sounds like they're learning from their mistakes. And that's what you have to do in this January camp. This is the perfect time. Those guys that are on the bubble that don't know yet what they're going to do and they show a lot of promise. This is your time now to really show them what you can offer. It's, it, I think it's a good move. Uh, a few other news items. Uh, Laura Harvey, official now, leaving the Utah Royals to become the U.S. under-20 national team coach. Kate Markgraf landing a fish. Uh, <laughs> in, in the, it's a good one, right? Yeah, this is one of, like, I know that Harvey hasn't had the most success in the league the last couple of years, and she does have a reputation in certain circles for not really being supportive of college players or uh-huh. young players at the professional level. And now she's the under-20 coach, so you better hope that she's going to work well with these players. But um, this was someone who was a candidate to be the senior national team coach. It was basically down to two candidates, her and Vladko Andonovsky. And I just find it interesting that she's like, eh. Okay, I didn't get the the senior job, but I'll I'll take the U twenty job. Maybe she believes that it's a path to eventually take over the senior job as well, right? Especially if you begin developing the under twenty players that eventually make it to the national senior side. Well, now she becomes the immediate favorite to be the successor to Flatko Andonovsky, whether that's four years from now or whether he falls flat in his face at the Olympics next time. Well, there you go. Um, so that was big news. Uh I also put this in my predictions for the year. I think we could very well see something of a controversy in the lineup for the U.S. at center forward. Now, this is if they stay, you know, continue with the 4-3-3, which I think they probably should. I would if I were the coach. Alex Morgan, best of luck to Alex as she readies to have her first child. Um, But that's expected in April. Um, The Olympic tournament starts in late July. Carly Lloyd has been performing at a very high level. She's been the starter, uh, scored three goals in her first two games under Andonovsky. I could very easily see Carly Lloyd lighted up as the starting center forward for the next few months. And Olympic qualifying actually starts later here in January. And so these are like, they're going to be some really high scoring games and really ugly games, but still important games, especially the semifinal, which will be the decider on Olympic qualifying. But if Carly Lloyd lights it up and scores a ton of goals in the first half of this year, including at the, the Four Nations tournament, or whatever it's called, I'm sorry, she believes cup. Um, and then Alex Morgan comes back in. Now she should have, she thinks, enough time, like two, three months, to get back into playing condition. She was posting videos the other day. Of, She's shooting like, you know, 90s, yeah. like at six months pregnant. Right. She's just unbelievable. Um, <laughs> But this could get interesting, don't you think? Yeah, I think this is the perfect... Op- if there hasn't been a good opportunity for Carly Lloyd to really show, look, I'm still the number nine here, it's right now. And she believes Cup is the moment to really just do everything. Uh, but I do believe that she needs to... There's nothing to take away from Carly Lloyd. We know who she is. We know the legendary player that she is and what she has achieved. But I think that she has to think to herself, I have to prove to everybody that I am this person and I can lead the front line. And I think she believes Cup um, is the perfect chance to do that. I mean, every game, obviously, but she believes Cup. Obviously, the competition will be a little bit tougher. So that, to me, would be a good indication for Andonovsky to say, yeah, you could maybe uh, fill this role. 
Lastly, you have a piece out today on South American players who could move to Europe in 2020. Fill me in. Yeah, very quickly. You know, we've been talking a lot about uh, this is a site, you know, the Olympics, as we have discussed, but we also have another Copa America this summer and we have World Cup qualifiers for Common Ball Nations beginning in March. And I think that gives a lot of opportunity once again for South American talent to, uh, you know, make a bigger statement on where they want to play and, and, and who can pick them up. I mean, Ezekiel Palacios is a perfect example, you know, winning South American Player of the Year in 2018 and then eventually now playing for Bayer Leverkusen. We have players, I think, in South America still that could also do that. I mean, Gabriel Barbosa is the first one. Obviously, he's already had his chance at Europe. Uh, Inter Milan owns him permanently. He went to Benfica, didn't go too well. He had to return to Brazil to play for Santos and then Flamengo. But he went to Europe when he was 20 years old. He's 23. This kid, now with the qualifiers, with the Olympics, and with Copa America, has another chance to prove to people that, you know, he can really make it in Europe. Chelsea reportedly show interest, West Ham. But, you know, I think more bidders will come in. The other one that I think people should pay attention to is a kid called Leonardo Campana. Now, he played against the U.S. He, he made two senior, a few minutes. Uh, he's actually an under-20 player. He won the under-20 tournament with Ecuador. He became their best player in that tournament. And uh, he's uh, reportedly, you know, being scouted by Wolves. And he's a perfect understudy to Raul Jimenez. So, you know, that's another player to watch out for. And the last one is a kid called Thiago Almada. He's an Argentinian kid, plays for Vélez Sarsfield. Naturally, because he's tiny, He's very good on the ball. He's very aggressive. His center of gravity is insane. You're going to get your Lionel Messi comparisons. But I see him more as a Carlos Tevez, uh, actually born in the same neighborhood as Tevez. He has no regard for his physical well-being. He will go at you like no other. Man City reportedly were interested, but Diego Simeone really likes this kid. And he's only 18, and, you know, he could make a statement. So, you know, there are many South American players that, aside from the fact that we want to look at them in MLS, they could make an even bigger jump and go to Europe almost straight away. And those are just some of the players that you could be thinking about as we enter 2020. I thought you were about to say Thiago Messi. <laughs> Thiago Messi? Uh, well, maybe. Prospect. He, he's, Prospect. The, he's the nicer uh, He's the nicer Messi kid. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me just say it is wonderful to be back uh, always a highlight of my week to spend some time here with you, Luis Miguel, and with our listeners. So let's have a great 2020 and subscribe. Tell your friends to subscribe. Uh, get the word out because like, we're trying to build an audience for this thing. We have to some extent, but we can always use more. Thanks again, my man. Did it, my friend. Happy New Year. And yes, please share the podcast.